Refugees Refuge podcast, a podcast focused on educating the public about refugee issues and refugee organizations. I'm your host, Sam McMorrow. Each episode, I will be interviewing someone new who's either worked with refugees or is a refugee themselves. You will hear about the issues facing refugees today and how you can help. My hope is that through listening to this podcast, you can develop a greater understanding and appreciation for the plight of refugees. We are trying our best to make a new episode every week, but COVID-19 has posed some unique challenges. Therefore, we ask that you bear with us as we try to produce this podcast. The Seeking Refuge podcast is managed by Wartime Aid. We are a small startup nonprofit organization focused on educating high school students about refugee issues. We do this by setting up chapters at Massachusetts high schools and by giving them discussion guides for each of their meetings. This means they watch an assigned video together and discuss the refugee issue presented. If you are interested in supporting the podcast and our organization, please go to wartimeaid.org. If you yourself are a refugee or have experience working with refugees, please contact us via our website. We would love to have you as a guest on our podcast. Make sure you follow at wartimeaid on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for updates regarding our work and the podcast. I appreciate your time and I hope you enjoy the podcast. This week on the Seeking Refuge podcast, I talked with Lynn Lenhart the president of the Ipswich Refugee Program. They are a local refugee charity actively helping newly arrived refugees in the town of Ipswich. The program provides a variety of services, including English language tutoring, access to medical care, rent assistance, immigration services, and much more. Together, we discussed Lynn's experience working with refugees and how COVID-19 is affecting refugees both locally and around the world. Due to coronavirus, this was recorded over Skype, so please excuse the poor audio quality. Thank you for listening. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, can you explain what the Ipswich Refugee Program is and what they do? We are a group of volunteers who have come together to support refugees and other immigrants and uh, migrants who've come to Ipswich. And we are here to support them through housing, offering help with housing, with uh, support for finding jobs, for tutoring them in English, for a whole variety of, of things that to enable them to become more self-sufficient. Often when people come to this country, they don't have a family support system any longer. They don't have an uncle who can help them out or, or a grandma who lives down the street and can babysit when, you know, when somebody's sick. So we, we're kind of like a village that's raising these families and, and supporting them. And we do that by assigning teams, sort of uh, teams that work with each family, because not one person can't do it all. We need, you really need a whole, a whole group of people with different skills to get together and support each of these individual families. Uh, their, each of their needs are different. Um, it depends on how, what the age of their children are and where they come from. And so what, what cultural obstacles they have to overcome and there's a, there's a whole variety, as I say, it varies from individual to individual family as to what their needs are. So we mm-hmm. are a group gathered together with a variety of people with a variety of skills to help them on their way to self-sufficiency. Interesting. So your organization was founded in 2017, correct? Right. And uh, so how did that idea come about? Because it seems like you guys have a specific mission and you're providing some specific services. How did the idea come about and who came up with it? During the Syrian refugee crisis in 2016, there there was a number of people in different churches who really wanted to respond to uh, the refugee crisis and offer some help 
to the millions of people who were displaced from Syria specifically because of the war that was going on there. And um, so we were we contacted a group. We would get together. We would brainstorm ideas of how could we help. Um, we contacted Catholic Charities, which is a, a refugee resettlement agency. And uh, we also talked to Carrie Shushard at the House of Peace because she's had so much experience with people from other other countries and coming to the United States and how do they do that and how long can they stay? She, their advice was very helpful in, in terms of what we could expect if we did host a family. So we did, we started working with Catholic charities and they told us that the most essential thing was housing because housing is so expensive in this area that they often don't, a lot of refugees, only small families are resettled in the United States because they, the housing is so expensive. If there's a large family, they often go to California or Texas or another place where the housing is less expensive. So we had a particular young man who was from Syria, and he is, he wanted his sister and her family to come, and they were a family of six. And um, so Catholic Charities said, well, we'll work with, with, uh, with Rami to see if we can get his sister to come, but we can't guarantee anything unless you can offer maybe a, a housing for them. So a member of our church, uh, the First Church of Ipswich, had a two-family house, and he and his wife wanted to rent the other half of their house to a refugee family. They committed to that. That was important to them. So we had an apartment that uh, could accept a family. So we were working with the, the Syrian family of six. and Actually, it was seven because it was, it, was, it was Rami's sister and her family plus his mother. And um, so we got, the, we got the apartment ready and with the help of local contractors and people who made donations for furniture and helped with rearranging the kitchen and putting in new appliances. So it was, it was a, a real group effort of people, you know, giving their time and giving materials and, and giving furniture and everything was all set for them to come. It took a while to figure out how to ask that for that family specifically, because it, the decision as to who gets placed in what city is sometimes kind of difficult to, to determine because it's made at different levels. The UN makes a decision, then the Homeland Security makes decisions, and then the resettlement agencies makes decisions. So there's a whole whole structure for how people are placed. So it turned out that everything was all set and ready. We've been communicating with the family and sending pictures of the children, and and uh, it was we were all excited about it. And Rami's sister and her family went to California because her husband had a relative there. His mother, however, did come to the United States, and she and Rami are living in Lynn, and they have been living in Lynn since then. So the apartment was was bigger than they needed. So uh, we decided, okay, we should probably see if we can find another family. And we actually did meet uh, another family from Syria, but their child had um, was in a wheelchair, and this the house is an old house. It's now on High Street in Ipswich and had very narrow stairway. And it just wasn't going to work to have this six-year-old having to try to get her up and down stairs was going to be very difficult. So that was also a disappointment. Then we did hear about a family who was, was able to come, uh, was going to come in January of 2017. And so that was our first family. And that sort of 
sort of started the whole process, I guess, actually happening. Because once we had the family there, then we realized, well, we really have to get organized here. We can't just sort of do it ad hoc anymore. So um, that was the real motivation to do fundraising and to have a real plan in place as to who was going to do tutoring, who was going to support them in social with the social service agencies they had to deal with. You know, so it was. We decided we really needed a better structure and a more uh, clearer um, way of managing what they needed help with. So, it seems like in that first case, the community really came together um, to help out this refugee family. How integral has the community been in general? in helping your organization and helping refugees come to Ipswich? The community has been great about helping them once they're here. I mean, the school system has been wonderful about, you know, reaching out and helping the children once they, they to get them integrated in the system and help their parents understand what they need to do um, within the system. So the school system has been wonderful. I would say that it's it's really been the churches mostly that have, have, have responded, um, particular churches, um, who have responded to helping because the main way we've been interacting with the families is through tutoring, at least when they first begin, because the English language uh, skills are really important for any kind of improvement in your jobs and, and also being able to integrate into the bureaucracy and to, and to the community. You really need to be able to speak English. And um, so that that's an important, really important way that we initiate our connection with the, with the families is through tutoring and through the developing their help, their skills in English. So you're president of the IRP. Yes. Um, can you explain any experiences you've had with refugees prior to that and what led you to that position now? I had, did not have any uh, experience with refugees prior to this. Um, I have had experience as organizing volunteers and working with volunteers. And I saw the need for somebody who could take all these very eager people who wanted to help in some way, shape, or form, but weren't quite sure, you know, how to do that. We really needed someone who would say, okay, we we need to have a particular kind of structure in place. I mean, being offering to help is wonderful, but you also have to have someone who can direct a person to the appropriate place for them to help. And we would have somebody offer, say, oh, I'd be really, I'd love to help in some way. Just tell me what you need. And so we, we had to figure out, well, what do we need and what skills do we need? So we have had some very good ex experience with that eventually. I mean, it took a while. Let's put it that way. Originally, we said, okay, who do we need to, to help us form an organization? And we realized we needed a treasurer. And that's something that not a lot of people feel comfortable with, you know, dealing with money and keeping track of all the donations. And, and so it took us a while to get find a treasurer. And once we did, it was it made a huge difference to have somebody who knew that knew how to keep track of things and who was keeping an eye on it. We needed someone who could do our website. And that was another big stumbling block, because a lot of the volunteers who have been working in this field are retired people who are older and a lot of young people don't have a lot of time to because they've got a family they both both husband and wife work so to find a you know young people who are more technologically savvy was was an important part of this skill so um fortunately there was a couple of young families who were very interested and wanted to be part of this and so we got our website up and running and that was that was great so that that made a big difference so when you first became president, you were obviously new to working with refugees. What surprised you both about the refugees you were working with and the volunteers you were working with? Well, the volunteers were 
you know, I was just in awe of the different skills they brought, the different backgrounds they brought. Uh, one of our main board members was a assistant principal in the school system in Ipswich. And so she knows everybody in town. And that made a huge difference because when we we wanted, we needed to find a particular thing that somebody might need, she would say, oh, I know we can when we were doing the, we were redoing the house to have the family come, she knew a contractor whose children she had educated and, and who was, you know, who had a heart for this sort of thing. And so she contacted him. And um, she also was really, really great at finding tutors because that's another key thing, as I said, that we, we really started out with and needed to be in contact with the families. As for what surprised me about the refugee families, I guess what surprised me was just, just, they're different stories. They had so many different stories. Each person had a different reason they wanted to come to the United States and, were, and a different reason why they were able to come to the United States. Refugees from our first family was from actually from Iraq, not from Syria. And there was another family already here from Iran who needed extra support. We have a couple of families from South America who are not documented. So we needed to, to treat them differently. We have to be careful that they're not exposed to people who might uh, want to deport them. And so we have, and then there was another family that came from Afghanistan. And um, this family came through what they call a special visa, which was because he worked for the, the man in the family worked for the U.S. government in Afghanistan. And he, as soon as they, he had to get out or else his family would have been killed. So it, we had a wide variety of, of reasons people came and uh, ways that they are, what, I guess the contact that we've had with them has, has also been different. The Iraqi family, we've been really close to. I mean, they have been, they've just been wonderful people. They're very warm. They're very excited to be part of the United States. And they are like our extended family. I mean, I feel like I'm, I'm like the mother and, or the great aunt for, for this family and for their little boy. And uh, now they also have their mother and sister came two years later. And so they we're helping them get integrated now too. So it's been, it's really been a wonderful connection we've had with them. And, and every day, every week, there's always something where somebody's talking to them about something. So it's been, it's been great. How difficult has it been for refugees in your program to start assimilating to uh, not only a foreign country, but a country probably in a different hemisphere than where they're from. How's that process been for them so far? Well, the Iraqi family, when they first arrived, they rode, arrived at in Logan, in, Logan at, in the middle of the night, and um, one of our, our members picked them up and, and brought them back to Ipswich. And they so they didn't see the surroundings. It was dark when they arrived, and they got up the next morning, and they looked out the window, and they saw... A cemetery across the street and that was quite a shock to them <laughs> because they were thinking and then they looked around and they they said i thought we were going to boston and 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 their their landlord said said no this is ipswich and they go what is ipswich you know the, to them they'd never heard of it they didn't know what it was like i think that 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 impressed them the most was how much space there was between buildings and that there were people who lived out in the country or in the woods, because to them, they were from Baghdad, and they had they had lived all their lives in the city. And to them, being out in the country was dangerous. I mean, that's where 
you know, people kind of were uh, hiding in the bushes out and, and they, they were really surprised that we would want to live where there wasn't somebody right next door to us and that, that there weren't a lot of people around them. But they now love Ipswich because they feel safe. That was one of the things that they emphasize. And the fact that there's so many people who live right next door or down the street who who are there, they can turn to if they have a question or if they have a problem. So they love Ipswich and they hope to eventually buy a house and, and live here. So they, they've integrated very well because they already had some English when they came. They were both uh, college graduates and they are really, they are really savvy. They're, they are pretty westernized Muslims. They were not, you know, a couple of our other families are much more traditional in terms of their approach to, in terms of their their faith and how they practice it. This family is more, as I say, it's more Western. They'd lived in uh, Lebanon for several years before they came to the United States. So they were, had already lived in a different country and, and had, were more familiar with, well, they, well, I remember we were taking them down to visit, they had to go to Salem for an interview with the Department of Transitional Assistance, which is like a welfare, it's our form of welfare, was that the department is called in Massachusetts. And we were driving down, there was a subway and they go, oh, we know subway. And then there was a KFC. Oh, we know KFC. So these were things that they had seen before and they were familiar with. And so they were thrilled and they, they've loved to be, they've loved being in Ipswich, as I said. Our, our families who are from South America are a little more, they're a little more anxious because of course they, they are more at risk. They, so we, we, we are trying to respect that and try to, uh, to help, help in ways that don't get them, you know, noticed in the wrong way, uh, way. So, and then the, the family from Afghanistan, they've been here for about five years. They moved to Ipswich a couple of years ago. That's how we learned about them. And they've been here for a while. And the gentleman who's the head of that family is very adept. And he's, his English is excellent. Been working for five years. He's already applied for citizenship. And so he's, he's doing really well. He doesn't need a lot of help from us. But his wife is a more traditional Muslim woman. And so she is only gradually getting more integrated into Ipswich society. And she was basically staying at home. Her English wasn't good. So she... Now that we've got her a tutor, she's doing much better. She wants to learn how to drive, and she's been working on that, but needs a lot of practice. So one, one of the things that our volunteers do has been helping the people learn to practice practice driving. I mean, that that's driving in the United States is, is quite different than driving in other countries. So that's another big hurdle that people need to overcome. So. So you've obviously seen a number of different people coming from different cultures coming into your program. Right now, what part of the world, what refugee crisis do you find to be the most concerning? I mean, I, I think most of us feel the southern border is the most concerning because that most of the refugees we've been working with are people who are here legitimately, have their green cards, have social security numbers, are considered to be legal residents of the United States. It's the, it's the people who are seeking asylum have a much more difficult road to follow because there are so many hurdles, there are so many regulations as to who can seek asylum, what qualifies as a credible fear, of, uh, and how do you prove that you have a credible fear of being injured or uh, killed if you go back to your country. It's, it is a big concern, and people are 
are trying to find a safe place. And it is, you don't leave your home unless you are really, it is a really terrifying place to remain. And you are terrified for yourself and for your children. I mean, the people who come to the southern border are not there because they, they want, uh, you know, more money. It's because they are terrified of, of what, what they left behind. So that's my biggest concern. And we are not able to be really involved in that at this point. We are, what we've decided our focus needs to be is on the families who are here, who we know about, so we can support them in Ipswich. That's our, we decided that we, we had to make sure our mission, we did something and we did it right. And instead of trying to spread ourselves too thin and to do stuff we couldn't do. So right now you and I are talking over Zoom because of the coronavirus. Yeah. So how has COVID-19 affected your organization and have you seen any effects on refugees throughout the world right now through your work? Well, again, we are focused on our local refugees. So we have connection with other agencies. Um, we have a connection with the Syrian Mission for the North Shore, which has got a connection with a, a refugee camp in northern Syria. And we've over the years, we've we've part of our mission has been to to help them when they have a drive to collect school supplies or to raise money to build schools at this refugee camp. And so we are waiting to hear from them as to what you know perhaps we can do to help them and what they're doing in Syria. So in terms of what COVID nineteen has done for our families or or how it's affected them has been. Uh, I would say they are frightened. They don't understand what's happening exactly and what should they do. A couple of the families already are, they have mass health, so they're all right. They're, they are fine. Their English is, is, is pretty good, so they understand what's happening. They, I mean, we've gotten calls uh, a couple of times. One of our board members is a, is a physician, so she's been uh, there to help them a- answer questions about health, health issues around COVID-19. She's also been a great help you know, for this because the healthcare system is another one of those things that is very difficult to manage if you are from another country and don't understand how things work here. So that's been great to have somebody who they can turn to and who they can trust to ask questions. We helped to refer one of our families. Their son had very bad teeth. He had been treated for leukemia and the medication he took had ruined his teeth. And so he had difficulty eating because it was painful, hot or cold were very difficult for him. So we were able to find him a pediatric dentist and we were able to, then that dentist was able to refer him to a hospital in Boston where he could get his teeth. They put a special coating on his teeth that made him, enabled him to be able to eat and be comfortable. So Having medical help is really crucial for new families coming to this country. Right now in the news, there's been a lot of talk about how the United States is changing its immigration policy. Has the amount of refugees entering the United States changed? And how has that affected your program, if it has? Yes, it has changed significantly. And that's that's been over not just the last past year. That's been actually since the new administration came in in 2017. We were really worried about our Iraqi family's mother and sister who were still in Lebanon. They originally were supposed to come at the same time. Our Iraqi family arrived in January of 2017, and two weeks later, the administration issued an executive order stopping all immigration, all refugees from arriving. And their mother and sister were due to arrive a month after them. But again, it was everything was stopped, so we had no idea if they would ever make it to the United States. But for some reason, uh, I'm, I don't know what it was, whether it was luck or 
the good Lord at work, but they were able to come last June. And that was just a miracle. But that I have heard of when I would talk to the Catholic charities as to whether they have any other refugees coming, they say very, very few. They've had to eliminate some of their social workers who work with new incoming refugees because they are getting many fewer. So I have spoken to, there's an organization that I'll have to get the right name for you, but it's it's the Massachusetts Commission on Refugees and Immigrants. And they were looking at where immigrants and where, where refugees were coming from. And they were, before 2017, they were a lot coming from the Middle East, from Iraq and Syria and Africa also. And now more of the people are coming from Africa because that that's still, we had a family who came from the Congo and they have since moved out of Ipswich, but there, there are more Congolese coming because of the wars in Africa as well. So, but I think even that has slowed down significantly. Uh, any Muslim, however, any Muslim country is getting virtually no refugees allowed to enter the United States. So it's, it's, it's very distressing. I, I think a lot of Americans are unaware of the refugee process and how complex it is. Based on your experience with refugees, can you explain how that process works and how much time it would typically take? Well, it can take, it takes anywhere from two to 15 years. I mean, it really depends on where you're coming from and how many other people want to enter the United States. I'll just use the example of our Iraqi family. They applied to the UN Refugee Agency, which is called UNHCR, the High Commission for Refugees. And so they have to have all their documents have to be collected and that they have to prove that they need to they need to leave their country. And if they don't have they don't have the birth certificate, if they don't have, you know, documentation for their college transcripts or things like that, that will keep them from arriving. But they also have to. So once they once they've started the process, they are interviewed by the U.N. Then they are they're checked. Their background was checked. All the information they've given is checked. Then they if they decide they want to come to the United States, they, at one point they have to choose what country do they want to 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 go for. And our family, because they had some English, decided they wanted to come to the United States or to England. They could have gotten probably to Germany faster, but they didn't speak any German, so they thought that this would make more sense to come to the United States. So, but you know, one, less than one percent of the people who apply to come to the U.S. as refugees are approved. So it is a minuscule number, and they are checked and rechecked. They have biometric checks, which means their fingerprints, their eye, you know, their eye prints, everything they have to, any scars, all, you know, they really have to go through a lot of different groups. So once they get to, you know, the, the director of the United States, the it's, uh, Homeland Security looks at them, the FBI looks at them, the CIA looks at them to make sure that they don't have any connections or contacts with, with, with questionable people or possible terrorist contacts. Yeah. So that the whole, Counterterrorism has to check them out. The State Department has to check them out. And then they get, finally, they get to the U.S. Citizen and Immigration Service, USCIS. And they, USCIS, then directs them to a local resettlement agency. So that's how they, Catholic Charities is, is uh, one of the resettlement agencies. I think there are nine different ones throughout the United States. One's a Lutheran. The Lutherans have a resettlement agency as well. I don't know all the names of the different ones, but it is extremely difficult for them to get through. But once they're here, they have about, they get about nine months of support from the resettlement agency and they get a stipend and they get um, some money to get started. 
this particular family we work with, without our support, they would never have, have made it this far because nine months is not enough to get going. The young man who was working, he didn't get his job for the first year because he had to go through all these processes and to and he had to go through a temporary agency to be placed and um, they had to find a, he had to have a car to get to, out of Ipswich <laughs> to his job. So there were a lot of things that if we hadn't been there to help him find a car and to apply for a special grant for them to get the car. He wouldn't have had a job and it would have been very difficult for them to, you know, to, to have improved their life without the support of our, our program. So it's, it's quite a process refugees have to go through and they don't all get the same support as we are able to provide in Ipswich. Yeah, I, I think many Americans would find what you say extremely interesting because most Americans don't fully understand the refugee process. And one thing we're trying to work on in this podcast is helping people develop empathy for refugees. So what is one thing you wish people understood about refugees that you think they don't right now? I think that people tend to assume that refugees who come from another country are a threat for a variety of reasons. They're different. They're they're scary because they're different. They have a different religion. And some people have are uncertain about what what it, what do all Muslims believe? Do they are they all terrorists? I think that there there are certain stereotypes about people from other countries that people worry about. I, I don't know. It's it is I'm trying to think what people assume. I guess one of the things that surprised me about our first family who came was how healthy they were. Basically, those that the, the they they weren't and they didn't come ragged. They didn't come you know starve. Now, granted, they had not been in a refugee camp, and so that it might have been quite different depending on the country they came from. So not all refugees are the same, obviously. Some some have been in refugee camps, some have not. And some have college educations and some only have worked on a farm and agricultural areas and have no skills that are appropriate for modern society in the United States. So it really varies a lot. But I, I think the thing that I want to emphasize the most is that refugees come to the United States because they are in danger or they are at threat for being killed or being severely harmed if they stay where they are. Nobody wants to leave their family, their home, where they've grown up, unless they absolutely have to. There's a wonderful poem of, written by a refugee saying, no one leaves your home unless your home is the mouth of a shark. It is something that's that we don't really understand, not what it takes to leave your home, the place that you've known all your life, and take that risk of going someplace totally different where you don't know anybody or you don't understand anything they're saying. So it is, a, it is a very courageous thing to do. And only the most determined, I think, the most determined, the most, I wouldn't say always, the, not always the most skilled, but the most determined people are the ones who, who come. And, and we should welcome them with open arms because they are, as I said, they're determined and they want this to work. And they will if you give them a chance. So, Earlier, you mentioned how when the Ipswich Refugee Program first started, it seems like there was a lot of hurdles. And prior to the program, you hadn't even worked with refugees. Yeah. So to ordinary people listening to the podcast, what would you say to them if they want to help refugees? What can they do in their communities? I think most communities do have some way of reaching their people in their own communities who need assistance. It, refugees may not always want to identify themselves as such, but I, I think that if you 
I've gotten that that question before, and uh, it kind of depends on your skills too. I think you can certainly help by supporting an agency that deals with refugees. You can help by being a tutor. That's a significant. Uh, way of helping. The other way of helping, I think, is to to look for groups who already are in place that are helping. Like there are a number of, as I said, the North Shore Refugee, the Syrian Mission, and there are there are other organizations like this, a refugee assistance program in Lexington called LexRap. And so I've I've connected with a number of them. So there are places out there. Sadly, there is not one particular clearinghouse for refugee agencies in Massachusetts, and I'm sorry that that doesn't happen. Uh, There is a state commission that works with refugees, uh, but they don't really use volunteers per se. So it's, and again, it varies from state to state. I wish there was a a magic, (laughs) magic (laughs) bullet or a magic uh, place, a website you could go to that says, you know, this is how you can help, you know, these four things, five things. Um, so we, we've just, we have basically taken the talents of the people who want to help and, and sort of find ways that they can be of assistance. So just keep your ears open and keep your heart open and ask around and I bet you'll find some way to help. Lastly, how can our listeners help the Ipswich Refugee Program? If you're, if you're in school, if you're in high school, for instance, or in the elementary schools, is, is be a friend to someone who's from another country. And that is a huge help to that person to, to know that they've got friends here and that people who will, you know, they can turn to if they have a question or they don't know what's happening. Why is, you know, why is the school asking me to do this? I don't understand. And it's, it's, and have your families reach out to neighbors who are, you know, who maybe live next door, who live down the street, um, who come from another country and just be their friends and, develop a sense of that we're here for you and we we're glad you're here. And that's, that I think is, is really crucial is that offering that simple thing of saying, we want you, we're glad you're here and we want you to, to succeed here. And how can we help you do that? Thank you for coming on the podcast. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> thank All you, right. Sam. We want to thank Lynn Lenhart for joining us on the Seeking Refuge podcast. If you would like to donate to or volunteer for the Ipswich Refugee Program, please go to their website at ipswichrefugeeprogram.org. Their link will be included in the description of this podcast. If you'd like to support the Seeking Refuge podcast, please go to wartimeaid.org and donate. Please subscribe to the Seeking Refuge podcast and tune in for next week's episode. As always, thank you for listening. <laughs>